May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father, through his Son, his only Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ. What do you know? What do you wish you knew? What do you not know? I've heard it said, and maybe I've said it to others sometimes, that it's good, even necessary, to realize that I don't know what I don't know. I didn't know a lot about Kenya. I shared a lot of this during Bible class this morning. Um, I didn't know about eating ugali and chapati. I didn't realize these were staples of the Kenyan diet, and they certainly are at the Lutheran School of Theology. But I learned a lot over 20 days of traveling and discovering, serving, and listening. Above all, I relearned this portion of today's epistle reading as he wrote nearly 2,000 years ago. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts this day to ponder the word of God before us, especially the word that reveals Jesus Christ, so that we will join in boasting about knowing nothing except. People God dearly loves. The second chapter of 1 Corinthians continues what Paul began in chapter 1, last week's epistle. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. In chapter 2, Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians how he came to their city. His message wasn't in lofty speech. His speaking wasn't filled with earthly wisdom. In fact, in verse 3, Paul even tells these brothers and sisters in Christ, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. His proclaiming, his preaching was simple and repetitious. Please understand that that repetitious is the best thing possible. Because Paul had a single central theme. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Notice, nothing about ice breaking tree limbs and power going out. Uh, Nothing about a weather balloon floating way up there across our country from west to east. Nothing about the Chiefs or the Eagles in next Sunday's Super Bowl. Now, I can imagine this conversation down at the Agora in Corinth, the marketplace. And there's, there's two men talking. One says, have you heard about this new preacher who strolled into town? The other, you mean Saul? Oh, that's Paul now. The guy who used to be deaf to the followers of the way. That's the one. So I went to listen to him last week. I didn't tell anyone I was going because, well... They might think I wanted to start saying Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. Hey, buddy, your secret's safe with me. So what happened while you were there? Did this Jesus perform any miracles? No, not one. Did he tell some of those mysterious parables? 
No, not that either. Okay, what did he say or do? Paul talked about this Jesus Christ they all follow. Though they say that he is now up in the heavens, I'm not sure what that means, they listen to and they read his words. And all the words of the men, prophets they call them, who promised that a Messiah would appear and he has done so. They talk about Jesus a lot. This Paul guy is going all over the Roman Empire, and wherever he goes, it's the same messages. Jesus, right? Yes, it's all about Jesus. Because he, that's Paul, has helped many people, and I think I'm one of them, says this man, learn that you can't talk about this Jesus without talking about the cross. You mean that Jesus was executed like a common criminal? That he was crucified? Well, this is what I heard. It's not enough to talk about Jesus. If and when you talk about Jesus, you have to talk about how he died. You have to talk about why he died, to pay for sins. You have to talk about the cross. Really? Really? The preacher named Paul even says it like this. I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Really? Really? So ends my imagined conversation. One man has heard Paul preach, and the other man hears from him, from his friend, about this preaching. They're puzzled. They're curious. They may be close to becoming believers, which reminds me of a conversation. It's one portion of the Gospel of Mark I studied with the men in Kenya from Mark chapter 12. Jesus has a conversation with a scribe, one of the Jewish religious teachers, and this is how it ends. Jesus says to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Corinth, Greece, Kenya, Rwanda, Burundi, Uganda, South Sudan, the United States of America, San Antonio. Nothing has changed. Nothing will change. Those who proclaim the gospel from a pulpit or as your friend or to your friend in the cafeteria at Reagan or Johnson or Mac or Lutheran High School or in your bowling league or in your men's senior baseball league or on your hunting lease or on your Caribbean cruise or with your cycling buddies or your walking girls, you can say, I must say, I know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And yes, this is. This always will be a challenging truth. It will always be, last Sunday again, a stumbling block to every Jew and folly to every Gentile. Because there are still those who scoff and say, just as they did back in Corinth, this is a scandal. This is shameful. This is folly. This is foolishness. When we hear this, then we say, yes, it is.
Because the cross causes people to stumble, to stumble over their guilt. And the cross is foolishness. For the brutal and bloody death of Jesus means this. The Holy One is condemned. The innocent one is declared guilty. The perfect one is made sin in our place. The eternal son is deserted, not only by most of his disciples, but even by his eternal father. Jesus is deserted, but sin and guilt are defeated. When our Lord cries out, it is finished, the price is paid in full. Jews, then and now, wanted something spectacular. And what are they given? What are we given? A rough wooden pole, sharp iron spikes, mockery and taunting on a barren hill outside Jerusalem. And Greeks, then and now, they ask, that's it? That's not the way gods fight. Our gods go out into battle, and your God on the cross stays silent. And what do I have to do? How can one person's death satisfy the justice of God? That's foolishness. Jesus won the salvation of all by his death and by his resurrection. Death did not have the final word. The sign of Jonah, the third day sign, life restored, is given on the first Easter morning. And wisdom's certainty, death is the end. Death is final. Death always wins. This wisdom is overturned by the open and empty tomb. The stone is rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to give evidence that he has triumphed over the enemy of the grave. To Jews in Corinth, to Greeks in Corinth, to sign seekers and wisdom worshipers, then and now, Paul declares this truth. Those who are called by the Holy Spirit, both Jews and Greeks, to them, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. Which is why today, Paul delivers to us this word, nothing. Nothing except, nothing except a crucified Savior. This is what I was striving to teach at the Lutheran School of Theology for the past three weeks. One class on confession and absolution, and the second, longer one, on the Gospel of Mark. I pray that by the Holy Spirit's working, I was able to teach and encourage these 14 men, not with lofty speech, but with certainly some trembling, that confession and absolution are not just a Lutheran doctrine, not just a liturgical component, not just a pastoral practice for the care of souls, but that it is all about the forgiveness of sins. One for us on Golgotha, on that Friday, which is very, very good. And I pray that I was able to teach and encourage these 14 men that the Gospel of Mark is more than a series of miracles and parables 
unique to this second gospel, that exousia and kainon aren't just interesting Greek words, that seeing and speaking are keys to discovering Mark's message. All of that may be true, but this truth is at the center. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. Our final day of class was Thursday. Thursday was February 2nd. And February 2nd is when the church counts 40 days from the celebration of the Nativity of our Lord to the day of the purification of Mary and the presentation of Jesus as a firstborn son. Joseph led Mary from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem as she carried in her arms the small and certain Savior of the world. They had just a few coins. Maybe Joseph had found a few carpentry jobs in Bethlehem to gain some of this money. They couldn't afford a lamb, so the Mosaic law allowed the poor to buy either a pair of pigeons or two turtle doves to make the sacrifices. But this is the good news. It is what Jesus is on his very first visit to the temple. Mary holds in her young but strong mother's arms the worker of purification, the one who will cleanse her and cleanse us of every sin. And there is no need for Joseph to offer a lamb to the priests, for Jesus is the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the firstborn of a new creation. Paul writes to the Corinthians and to the crown of Lyphians, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all and that is only what I want to know and tell. That is all and that is only what you and I, what we cling to and confess. That is all and that is only what we proclaim and invite others to share. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.